Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Excited to bring a word to us today from our Bibles. Um, I'm excited to preach. My wife, Kirsten, and I are on the team here. We have the honor of serving our incredible lead pastors, Jake and Nicole Sweetman, who are going to be back down here next week bringing the word as well. But for this week, we're going to dive into a psalm. Um, for those of you that know, we just actually wrapped up a series on David. So this is almost like a rewind because I'm obsessed with Psalm number four, and I want to actually break it down verse by verse with us today. Um, and so that's what we're going to do for probably the next 20, 25 minutes. Um, this psalm of David's today, Psalm 4, is uh, it's one of my favorites. And as we go into this, my goal here today is simple. It's very, very simple. I want us to learn how God wants us to live so that we can leave here and live that way. I want us to dive into the scriptures, learn what God says and instructs us and how he has designed us to live so we can leave here today and do it. Specifically, I want us to go deeper in our prayer lives today. You know, um, one of my favorite things is to go back to the fundamentals, the things that are specific, the things that are at the ground level that everything else you can't do without. And prayer is one of the fundamentals of living this Christian life. And I want us to go deeper into that today. We're going to look at this Psalm of David. We're going to see him passionately approach God, remember God's faithfulness to him, evaluate himself, and trust in God's plan. David is talking to, talking to God in this moment. And he pours out a complaint against basically all the haters in his life. There's people that are upset with him. They're talking smack about him. They're spewing lies all about David and his character and his person. And it's causing David to become angry. And so where does he go? He goes to God. He talks to God. And he finds peace and he finds refuge in God. So let's read Psalm 4. If you're taking notes today, I encourage you to write down the title. It's called Talking to God. It's very intense. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, this year as a church, we are dedicated to digging deep wells. To digging deep wells. As a church, as a community, as individuals, but also as a body, we are unified around this idea of digging deep wells. It's what we're focused on this year. What does that mean? Simply, it means that we are going deeper in our relationship with God, with his body, and our church preparing for the big things that he has in store for us as individuals, yes, but for us as a community, the big things that God has in store for us collectively. We are all part of the church. We are all part of the body. But how? How are we digging these deep wells? For those of you that know me, like, I am very black and white. I do really bad with gray areas and ambiguity. Um, it's a gift, to be honest, I'm an incredibly good problem solver. I do great things. I need to be able to reduce, diagnose situations, give a fix, and move on. Um, it's a gift. It's not always a gift. Sometimes it has its downsides. Um, like if you're married. Um, and, uh, you know, when Kirsten and I first got married, 
we had these things called conversations. We still have these things called conversations. <laughs> Nine years later, we're still talking. It's amazing how gracious she is. And um, I remember the first, like, I'm a slow learner. So the first few years of our marriage, Kirsten would, you know, she'd come home and we'd, we'd have these conversations and it'd be around, you know, like problems in life. Like she could, she'd either be facing maybe like uh, an area in her leadership that she was struggling with or some coworkers in her workplace or just her workplace in general, or she was struggling with the fact that she couldn't keep her hands off of me. And it all, you know, whatever the issue may have been, um, she would start to, we, was, we would have these conversations and we would talk about these things. And uh, it was really great because uh, she would enter into the conversation and before she would even like finish maybe like two or three sentences, I would have already reduced the problem, given her the solution, presented it and been like, this conversation's wrapped. We can just, we can move on now. I'm efficient. It's what I do. It's a gift. But it's not. Just in that moment, Kirsten wanted to have a conversation. You see, but I struggle with like, gray areas. Um, I struggle with ambiguity. I actually like try to reject it. You know those people that like have conversations and they talk about problems but they don't ever like come to a solution and they're like, oh man, it feels really good. That like stresses me out. I can't talk about a problem if we're not going to talk about some kind of solution. (laughs) You're crazy. I like to be efficient. And I think my propensity to solve problems, it helps in areas, although it might slightly lead to a lower emotional IQ. But it's helped me dig deeper wells. You see, like I said in the beginning, deeper wells is about knowing God more, preparing for your future. And the only way you can do this is by talking to him. It's by spending time with God. You see, the cornerstone of any relationship is conversation. Not just to help solve your problems, although God wants to help you solve your problems. But the cornerstone of a relationship is conversation because conversation helps you go deeper with somebody. It helps you understand their motives. It helps you understand how they were designed and how they can help you and how you can help them. Conversation is a cornerstone of a relationship. It's one of the fundamentals. And I, at my core, am a fundamentalist. I want to discover the central or primary rule or principle on which something is based. That's fundamentalist defined. And then I want to exploit it, and I want to become an expert. (laughs) So I'm here to tell you that I'm an expert in God. I figured it out. Don't worry. Today we're going to learn. No, he's immeasurable. It's impossible to be an expert on God, and you don't want to be able to be an expert on God, but I do know that in his word, he tells us to have conversations with him, to talk with him, to talk with God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of those fundamentals is prayer. It's talking to him. And David in the Bible is one of my favorite characters. I'm going to spare you his, you know, a history on him, if you would, because we just did an entire series on him. So most of us are well-versed, but I will say this. He's a total miscreant. He is uh, a failure in many ways, but a man after God's heart. He is open. He is apologetic. He is not perfect, but he seeks after God. He doesn't want anything standing in between him and his relationship with God. And this is why I love him. And I think in this psalm, one of my favorite things is that he's describing his anger with people, which I just love because it's okay to be angry with people sometimes. And David shows us that it's okay not to be perfect or even put on a facade of perfection, but to really talk about what we are going through, what we're facing. And that's why I love him. He's real. Things are not going his way. People are talking behind his back. He cannot control the situation. He cannot control people, what they believe or what they say about him. Yet we have him in this moment finding peace and refuge. Have you ever had someone that's holding something against you, someone that's lying about you? Okay, cool, just me. Um, It sucks when people defame you, when they say something about your character that isn't true and, you know, whether... They know it. They're giving people fuel to start thinking one way about you that's not about you. And this is how David is. He's stuck in this position and he's angry. And we can learn today from what's weighing on David. We find him talking to God. So let's jump into this scripture. Let's go verse by verse and I'll stop us at the fun parts. But first, let's pray. 
Thank you, God. Jesus, would you open up our eyes, open up our hearts today to what you're trying to teach us about talking to you, about praying with you. Let us learn from David. Let us learn from your scriptures on what you've done. God, your word says, knock and the door shall be opened. So this morning, God, help us knock so that you can open up all the doors to help us know you better, to know you deeper, and dig deep wells with you here today. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to look at this psalm in the way of how David approaches and how David talks to God. I want to look at it and I want to break down some of the behaviors that I see in David through Psalm 4, and I want us to pull out different ways and different aspects of talking to God. So I'm going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to stop when I want, because I have the microphone and you don't. It says this in Psalm 4, verse 1. It says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Answer me when I call, O God of my, of your, my righteousness, exclamation point. I love exclamation points. I love the opening of this psalm for this reason. It is bold and it is passionate. You can feel it in David. Answer me when I call. First of all, I don't know what kind of house you grew up in, but if I ever talked to either of my parents that way, answer me when I call, mom, it, there would have been like a shoe flying through my living room directly at my head. It would have been intense. But I love this boldness and this passion in David's cry. He is talking with God passionately. That is the first thing that I want us to understand, that when we're talking to God, let's approach God passionately. David is not casually casting up words. He is not distracted by what's going on. You can tell in this moment that he is 100% dialed into God, 100% present in the conversation. He is passionately approaching God. You see, sometimes I... I I get asked the question, and if I'm being honest, I ask the question as well, why, why do I feel like my prayers lack power? You know what I mean? Like you hear someone pray and you're like, holy moly, they ate their Wheaties this morning. That's incredible. Wow. Oh, did you feel that? I got like gooseies when they were praying. Um, this is me having a conversation with myself about someone else praying. And sometimes I get convicted. I'm like, man, why don't my prayers have power? Why don't I feel power when I pray? Uh, it's discouraging. Sometimes it causes me not to pray. Sometimes it causes me to go like, well, you know, if there's no power, what's the point of even doing this? I don't want this to just be a religious process that I go through. But I wonder if sometimes our prayers lack power because we lack passion in the way that we approach God. I wonder if sometimes our lives uh, erode away at the passion and the expectancy that we have when we go into a moment of prayer with God when we approach him, talking to God passionately. Not fake, not manufactured, but genuine passion. Um, Kirsten and I just moved into a new house, which we're super excited because we're expecting our first child in December. Very excited. And uh, so we're, we're super pumped about that. But my landlord is hilarious. Uh, when we were looking for this place, uh, it was like a Craigslist ad with no photos. So al already I was like, ah, is this fraud? And um, Kirsten was texting our, our landlord, and she was like, oh, my, sorry, I can't meet. My phone doesn't work. It's not working properly. I'm not getting text messages or phone calls. And then she's getting photos. Kirsten's like, hey, do you have any photos of the place? She's like, sure, but my, my phone's not working. And we would get photos like, of, a, of, a, of a computer screen with like the photos on it, you know, like classic. So then I'm like, this is either fraud or this is like an 85-year-old woman. Well, she's 84 and she's amazing and she's the sweetest lady ever. Um, but she also, she, she texts very differently. I text passionately. So I'm, I think I have like a, like maybe it's a subconscious, this is like therapy with you right now, maybe it's like a subconscious like, uh, you know, fear of people misreading my text messages. So I include an, <laughs> a too many exclamation points and probably too many emojis. You know, you're like, hey, are we hanging out today? Yes, exclamation point, exclamation point, that's me. Uh, I'm that guy. So if you don't have my number and you don't want to experience that, don't ask for it. Um, but I love texting uh, my landlord, because uh, she doesn't text like that. She texts with correct grammar and punctuation. So when I get a text from her 
And I'm like, hey, uh, I was going to drop by the deposit today, exclamation point, exclamation point. She texts me back, okay, comma, that's fine, period. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels intense. Um, and I was thinking about this like, idea of manufactured passion. I definitely try to manufacture passion when I text people. I definitely try to put on like a level of like, hey, I'm happy, I'm great. And this is not what David's doing. My landlord isn't mad at me. She's just like, yeah, great, cool, that's fine. But, you know, I read it and I'm like, huh. have you ever gotten the text that's just fine, period? Like, that's really anxiety spiking. Like, I, anyway, okay, just me. Um, but what I love here is that David's not trying to persuade God with an emotional display. He's not using proverbial exclamation points at the end of his sentence. It's genuine for him. God wants us to care deeply about the things that he cares for when we pray. And I think it's important to note this because I think sometimes, I don't know about you, I grew up in church where it's like you need to pray passionately means that I'm like screaming and I'm like declaring and I'm like, you know, speaking all of the, you know, most intense scriptures and all this kind of stuff. And that's not the passion that I'm talking about. The passion that I'm talking about is approaching God in reverence, approaching him, approaching him with expectation like David is. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This is a good example of David stirring himself up to take a hold of what God has in store for him. He's talking to God passionately. There's this uh, great moment in the Old Testament where this prophet Isaiah, he's talking to God and he's talking sorrowfully about how God's people are approaching him. And it says this in Isaiah 64, verse seven. It says, there is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take a hold of you. But then we have David here saying, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This is a good example of David stirring himself up to take a hold of God, getting ready in expectation for something in his world to shift and to change. It says this in 1 John. I don't think I gave this to the team, so sorry, guys. 1 John 5, verse 14 through 15, it says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, this is talking about Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Pray passionately. I wonder what our approach is when we come to God. Is it from a place where we understand that, God, your word says that if I pray for something that's within what you have designed for me to experience, that you will make it pass, that you will bring it to pass? Or is it just stepping into a moment of religion and saying, I guess I've got to pray, so I'm just going to do this? Or do we say, God, I'm taking a hold of you. I'm taking a hold of your promises. I'm going to go after you passionately. Passionate comes in all different forms. It's, it's about caring about what God comes to you, what God, what God cares about. So if you're sorrowful about something in your life, well, God cares that you're sorrowful. And he wants to replace that sorrow with joy. So coming to God when you're sorrowful is not like putting on the smile and, you know, declaring, you know, singing, all things are possible, and like, you know, marching around your thing. You can do that, but coming to him passionately might be just going, God, I'm sorrowful, and I know that you're passionate about me not experiencing that. I know that your plan for me is joy, and your plan for me is hope. How are we approaching God? We approach him passionately. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. The next part of verse one says this, you have given me relief when I was in distress. You have given me relief when I was, past tense, in distress. Talking to God requires us to passionately approach him. Second thing it requires us is to recount his faithfulness. Talking to God requires us to recount his faithfulness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. This is a classic David strategy, straight from the playbook of David. He uses his past relief as grounds for his future help in God. He says, God, I know that you've blessed me up until this point, that you have done great things and you've brought me through much to get here. Why would you possibly leave me now, even though I'm facing distress again? I love the way that Spurgeon says it. He says, this is another instance of David's common habit 
of pleading past mercies as a ground for present favor. You see, talking to God requires us, especially if we find ourselves in moments like David is right now, where he feels attacked from all sides and helpless, is to recount what God has done for you, is to look back at the mercy that he's had on your life for it to become a fuel for the hope and the faith for whatever you're facing now in your present circumstance. The fact that God has answered prayers for you in the past should indicate to you and build you up with faith that he will answer what you're asking for right now. God is faithful, and when we recall his faithfulness, it is, it is literally a tool that he has given us to equip us for whatever we are facing now. You know, for, for, for Kirsten and I, this list gets like, as you go through the years of following Jesus, the amount of things that he has done for us, the amount of things that he has brought us through, it becomes overwhelming. I barely get to like point five before I feel like the, whatever problem I'm facing currently is so insignificant for God, is so little in comparison to his faithfulness that I'm able to move on. But that doesn't always happen. There are moments. You know, um, I started, uh, we had this car a few years ago called a Prius, and you may have heard of him. And uh, it's awesome, it was great, uh, except it was, for everyone else, ex a perfectly awesome car that was super reliable for them. For me, it was the biggest money pit I have ever owned in my entire life. And I remember, like, uh, last year, it was, like, right at the beginning of all the shutdowns and everything, and uh, I had just gotten it back maybe a month earlier after putting, like, five grand into this car to get it, like, fixed. Just, like, it's a Toyota. How, it's, is it even worth this? I don't, I don't know. It was older. But anyway, beside the point, I don't want to get angry. Let's move on. And I was driving down the street uh, to go to a friend's house, and uh, I took off from a light. And for those of you that have a Prius, it's like electric for the first part, and then the engine kicks in. Well, I'm driving, and I experience the electric part, which is really nice and smooth. And then all of a sudden, this massive bang happens when the engine kicks in. And I just hear, like, chunks of metal flying out from underneath our car. And uh, I was in an explosion. So I survived. It was amazing. But uh, there's these things in an engine called a piston. And what mine did was instead of staying inside of the engine, it decided to bust right through the sidewall of my engine block, which was amazing. Um, I remember the tow truck driver came, and he goes, oh, oil, this thing's done. And I went, <laughs> done? Like, what does done mean? Like, done, like, should get it to a mechanic? And he's like, oh, I don't know. My mechanic calls me, and he says, hey, man, um, you need a new engine. And rewind uh, 90 days before this, I had started, uh, we had just paid off the car, which was amazing. Love being debt-free. Shout out to Financial Peace University. Um, and uh, I remember going like, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready for another one, but I want you to give me a car. And I remember praying like it needs, I want it to be nice, and I want, uh, I want to like driving it, and I want Kirsten to like it. And the third one is the hardest one, if I'm being completely honest. Because Kirsten is, uh, she's picky when it comes to cars. Not, not for name brand reasons. I actually have no idea. She just looks at it and she's like, nah. Um, it doesn't matter what brand it is. She just likes what she likes and she doesn't. It's very confusing for me. But either way, I gave him those three criterias. Car explodes. Um, I call a friend knowing that he had just got a new car. Um, and I said, hey, man, um, I know your other car is parked in your driveway, and I wanted to, like, you know, maybe take the lease over until I can figure out when I can get to a dealership. And he goes, okay, let me, let me talk to the missus, and, um, and I'll get back to you. Two days later, he goes, hey, man, you can come pick the car up. And I go, great, what's the, you know, what's the payment, all that kind of stuff. And he goes, oh, don't, don't worry about that. I was like, okay. Like, what do you mean by don't, like, I've got a budget. I kind of have to worry about, <laughs> you know, these things. Um, and uh, he goes, no, don't worry about it. We're going to cover the payment. I said, okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll put it on my insurance today. And he goes, no, no, don't worry about that either. We're, we're going we're gonna to cover that as well. And I remember going to pick up this car, and Kirsten liked it. 
Remember, that was the hard one. And it was new, and I loved driving it. And I remember going, driving home, and being so mad about the fact that my Prius had exploded, but at the same time realizing that God had answered the prayer that I had prayed for 90 days before. God is good. Kirsten and I have faced financial struggles in the past. God has brought us through it. What are the things that God has brought you through? What are the prayers that he has answered in your life? For those of you that know, Kirsten had, uh, she had thyroid cancer. God brought us through that. All of these things where God shows his faithfulness are the areas when I am walking through life that I recall back to God the struggles that I walked through, the pain that I experienced. And I say, God, if you are able to do it for me then, you're more than able to do it for me now. And this is what David is telling us in this scripture. When he declares and he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. He's saying, God, you've done it for me before and you can do it for me again. We're digging deep wells here as a community. And so yes, this is a tool for us individually as well, but this is also a tool for the person that's sitting beside you. See, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is in Revelation, and it says this. It says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is prophecy unto those who hear it. The testimony of Jesus Christ is prophecy unto those who hear it. Translation, it means that if Jesus does it for you and you tell somebody about it, you're prophesying and declaring over them that God can do it for them as well. This is powerful because how many people have in my opinion, lost a car, or more importantly, in the serious things in life, how many people have lost family members? How many people have faced illness? How many people have lost children? How many people have faced financial dis, uh, disrepair? And how many times has God brought people through things? And when we, when we share those things with other people, what we are doing in that moment is we are declaring through the power of Jesus that God can do it for them because God has done it for you. And so we can't take lightly these moments of recounting God's faithfulness because in those moments, it's not just for us. The pain that the enemy tries to use against us, the shame that he tries to pile on us actually becomes the very tool that helps other people get set free in those moments. See, the lock that he puts on our lives when he tries to face, we, he tries to put us in circumstances where we face impossible outcomes. But yet the key that God provides to us in that moment is the faithfulness that he has already walked us through many things before and will continue to never leave us, never forsake us, and never abandon us in our time of need. God is amazing. So talking to God requires us to recount his faithfulness. If God did it for you, he can do it for me. God wants to do it for you. And he's done it for others that are around you. And so my challenge to you in this point is this. Speak with each other. Talk with each other. You know, Mara was up here before talking about our core convictions, these things that we live to embody. And one of the best places that you can start to practice stuff that is taught from a platform on a Sunday is in the context of relationship in neighborhood groups. It is one of the best places where you can sit down and you can talk about what God has brought you through. You will never know what the person beside you is going through and the fact that your testimony that God has brought you through it could actually directly give them the hope and the faith and the declaration of God's promises over their life in that moment. It's powerful. It's powerful. You know, for, um, like I said, Kirsten and I, we're expecting our first child in December, which is amazing. His name is Henry Hugh Crocker, and I already would do anything for him. He's amazing. He's the size of a pomegranate, which is amazing and delicious. So he's obviously double blessed. Um, uh, and those of you that saw the announcement, it's, uh, it's our first baby, but it's not our first pregnancy. And uh, one of the things that we discovered when we walked through that phase was that one in three women who try to have a child experience a miscarriage. 33%, and I had no idea before that. There's also fathers attached to that that were expecting to be fathers that weren't. And I never knew that. 
until that moment. And so you know what I said when I read this scripture is that I'm not gonna be ashamed of that moment in my life. I'm gonna declare that God brought me through it, that his faithfulness means that my son, my little son who's in heaven now, will be raised and he'll never feel the pain that I feel because he's raised by the best father that there ever was. I'm gonna be an incredible father, <laughs> fact. But I will never be comparable to God. And my son, my little boy, we had a dream. His name's Theo, Theodore Maverick Crocker. And he's in heaven being raised by God. And I am unashamed to talk about that because there are people who have experienced that pain and never been able to talk about it. Is it easy? No. But God brought me through this and is bringing me through it. And I am learning more about him than I ever have before. So why would I hold that to myself when one in three people who try to have a child experience the pain that I felt. But if God brought me through to where I am now, he can bring the people through that experience. And I'm not gonna be selfish and hold on to God's faithfulness for myself. I'm gonna be dedicated to share with others. Can we do that as a community when we face trial? Amen? God can do it for you. Talking to God means that we need to evaluate so first, we do it passionately. Second, we're recounting his faithfulness from the past that we've walked through. And third, we are talking to God and we're evaluating. evaluating. Uh, in verse two, it says this, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in God. You know, what's interesting to me in this moment is that, yes, David evaluates himself. He's, he's very angry. He's upset. And, and so what he says to himself is, okay, I'm, I'm going to not sin in this moment. I'm not going to do, do any action that God wouldn't approve of in this moment. I'm angry. I'm working it out the right way. I'm going to him in prayer. And I love that, and that's amazing. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I find really interesting in this chunk of Scripture here is the question that he poses. How long? Talking about the people that are talking about him, that are doing bad things against him. How long will they continue to do this? David asks a valid question. How long will the ungodly keep their ways? Surely they can't keep it forever. They have to abandon it now so that they can be blessed. Um, this to me spoke of an evaluation process. You have David here and he's evaluating, hey, I'm angry, I've gotta make sure that I go to God so that I don't do things that are against him. And then he's talking about those who are obviously talking slanderous things about him, which God doesn't call us to do, so they're not doing what God's called them to do. And he asks, how long could they possibly go on? And it made me ask the question, is there anything in my life that God's looking down and he's saying, how long are you gonna continue on this road? See, there's a moment when we're talking to God where we have to, we have to say, okay, I've gotta take an evaluation of what's going on in my world. David knew that he was angry. He had to evaluate what was going on in his world. He knew that he was frustrated. He had to evaluate it. But I love this question of how long. There's so many things that could be going on in our lives that we're unaware of and just asking the question, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me what's standing between you and what's standing between me? What is the thing that you don't approve of that I need to abandon so that I can experience the blessing of prayers being answered like David is describing about? You see, God is faithful and he meets us where we are, but I, I, I guess my question today is, are we on a compromising course in any area of our heart? Is there something inside of us that we need to assess and we need to say, you know what, God, I'm officially done with that today. I'm finished with this thing. Only you and only God know what I'm talking about in your life right now. Only he can talk to you about what is standing between you and a deeper relationship with him. But I wanna say that you, like David is asking, you can't keep this up forever. How long? If I play this out into the end, where will I be? If I play this habit out, this relationship, this thing that I keep going back to, if I play this out, how long? 
am I going to play around with this sin, this thing that is between? What are you flirting with is my question. I was single a long time ago. Not too long. Well, it's a long time ago. And uh, I loved flirting. I still flirt with Kirsten all the time. I just think it's hilarious. She doesn't know how to respond. She's like, uh uh-huh. She's cute. Um, I love flirting. But what, what David is talking about here is how long are you going to keep flirting with the thing that's staying between you and standing between a deeper relationship with God? It's a tough question. I'm not surprised by the lack of response in the room. It's a convicting question. It convicts me. What are the things in my life that are standing between what God has in store for me and where I am now? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. This is David speaking here. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. This is why it's important for us to ask this conversation because Jesus is so incredible. Like he is gonna meet you where you are. If you, It says knock and you, and the door will be open, seek and you will find. So he is so gracious and so mercy filled, but he is also a God like Nathan talked about last week from this platform that is holy and he wants us to be holy. He wants us to walk on this road towards righteousness. That's why in the beginning of this, David talks about uh, God of my righteousness meaning that God has given that righteousness to him. He has been made perfect by the sacrifice of God. And so for us, we have to ask our questions. What's standing between me and the life of righteousness that God has called me to? What is the thing that I am flirting? What is the thing that I refuse to let go of? Because I love that this scripture says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. That's you, that's me. God has set you apart for himself. What do you set apart things for? Your pleasure, Like I set apart time so I can go and ride my motorcycle. I set apart time so that I can seek God in the word. I set apart time so I can go and take my wife on a date. I set apart finances so I can go on a vacation. I set apart things that I want for my own pleasure. And God does the same thing, except what he sets apart is you and what he sets apart is me. He sets apart you so that he can experience Pleasure. How incredible is that? That our God loves us so much that he wants to set us apart because he loves us. He wants to spend time with us. We set things apart for our own enjoyment. And for, for those reasons, God sets us apart unto himself. The Lord will hear me when I call him. The godly have a reward in the Lord. And that's why David knows that the Lord will hear him when he calls. And I love that there's such, like, it's a fact when he says it. The Lord hears me when I call because he has set me apart for I am godly. Now, is David perfect? We discussed this already. No. He killed people. He committed adultery. But what he always did was he evaluated and he says, God, I don't want this between me and I don't want this between me and you. So how do we evaluate because I honestly believe that we should be like David and we should be able to declare when we're talking to God that you have set me apart and when I pray, you will bring things into my world. Each Christian should have the same assurance that they should be confident that God is gonna hear their prayers and when, pa- and when prayer is ineffective, it's worth taking an inventory of our spiritual lives. Have you ever felt like, man, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying and then nothing happening? Me. Yes. Oh, look, almost all of us. Amazing. Well, I wonder if we should, instead of just feeling that, we should actually do what David is calling us to do and take an inventory of our spiritual lives. None of us are perfect. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But how do we take an inventory to make sure that we don't stay in a place of falling short? God has called us to a life of progress. Here's a couple. John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me and in my words... Uh, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So one of the ways that could possibly be standing between you and your spiritual journey is not abiding in God, is not taking time to actually talk to him, to spend time with him and in his word. Matthew 17, 20 through 21 says this, uh, it's about unbelief. He said to them, this is Jesus, because your faith, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a, must, like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. A possible thing between us and God is our unbelief. 
when you pray, do you actually believe it? Or are you like, God, I pray for a new car. As if that's going to happen. Or do you actually believe that God is going to do something for you? Matthew 17, 21 says this, whoever, sorry, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Maybe what you're praying for is actually needing to be partnered with fasting. It says this in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, give honor to wives as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Maybe, maybe there's a tear in your marriage. Maybe there's an area in your marriage where you haven't addressed. These are things that the Bible says could be between you and your prayers being answered by God, this assurance that God is gonna do things for us. Maybe it's an unconfessed sin. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Psalm 17.1 says, hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. It says this in Proverbs 28, 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the Lord, even his prayer is an abomination. Trusting, that's enough encouragement for me to read my Bible, friends. That's all I'm gonna say right there. Uh, trusting the length or form of your prayer, Matthew 6, 7 says this, when you, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. My point is this, not to convict you, but to make you realize that there are a multitude of areas where God is saying, take inventory. What are the places in your world? And the reality is, is that at any point in time, it could be multiple things. Today, it could be nothing. Tomorrow, it could be one thing. I could leave here today and get into a fight with my wife. I'd be in jeopardy of one of these things. I would need to make that right. But that is the point, is that there is always the ability for us to go to God and ask for forgiveness. There is always the ability to go, God, I am sorry for this. Help me remove this boulder between you and the relationship that I want with you, the well that I am digging. Help me move this dirt out of the way so that I can reach the water that is beneath what is standing between me and you. Are we taking responsibility for whatever could be standing between us and God? Taking responsibility is not taking shame it is realizing that God has already paid the price for you not to experience the shame of what you're facing and accepting his forgiveness. Amen? Awesome. I'll finish on this. Talking with God requires us to trust him. It requires us to trust him. It says this in verses six through eight. It said, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, God. O, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I love this picture where David goes from, God, I need you in my life. I need you to answer this prayer. Here's what these people are doing. I'm angry, but I'm not gonna sin. And then all of a sudden there's this like pendulum swift, switch, switch, swift, or swing. Three letters that all start with S. There's this pendulum swing where he goes from anger to rest, from anger to joy, from mad, concerned, dealing with strife and a weight to suddenly able to sleep, to feeling joy and safety. This is the byproduct of talking to God. This is the moment of, of coming and expecting something, but not being in a place where you're like, I have it all together. I'm just expecting God, you to do something in this moment. I'm expecting you to help, whether it's reorientate my perspective, whether it's to change my circumstance, or just encourage me. Because what's interesting is that at the end of this psalm, it's not that all of the enemies or the people that were slandering against David suddenly just like dropped dead and he was like, thank you God for delivering me from all the slander. The circumstance hasn't changed. It's exactly the same. Yet all of a sudden, David's like, great, I've got joy in my heart and I can sleep because I'm safe. What? You have put gladness in my heart 
is what another translation says. More than in the seasons that their grain and wine increased. Lord, lift up your light. You know, what's amazing is despite what the cynics are saying about David, his trust is in the Lord and that the God of the universe will show him good. He claims the promise of blessing that was spoken over the people that he is connected to. It says this in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. Um, we've actually sung this, so you probably know it. It says, the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You have put gladness in my heart. God shines favor on us as a community when we talk to him, when we assess what's going on in our worlds. David was distressed, he was vexed. All these people were coming after him. But God put something in his heart. You know what's amazing about talking to God is that it's a process. Um, I wish I could say I had the perfect formula today. And although I love the way that David formulates it, where he says, approach with passion, and I want you to uh, also, you know, remember all of the faithfulness that God has done for you, and then take an evaluation and trust in him. The reality is, is that all of that leads to a point of trusting God, and trust is one of the hardest things that we can give something or someone. Because trusting God requires us in that moment to put aside the failures of every other person in our lives. Because every single other person that you have ever encountered doesn't deserve the kind of trust that God is talking about in this moment. Um, we've all been let down by people. Someone said they'd be there if they weren't there. You were going through a hard time, somebody disappeared in your life. We've all been let down by people. You're in a relationship, it failed. We've been let down by people. God will never let us down. But that doesn't stop us when we get to this point saying, God, I've gotta trust you. I've gotta trust you, I've gotta trust you. It doesn't stop us from thinking about all of the other things. What I love about David is that as we see this moment in his life, God starts to put things in his heart. And my thing today, and I'll invite the band back up, is this. God wants us to leave here today, and he wants us to be empowered in a way to talk to him. He wants you to come honest, and he wants you to come boldly in front of him, and he wants you to passionately approach him. He wants you to look at your life and remember the goodness that he's done for you, but also assess if there's anything standing in the way of what you're asking for now. But at the end of that, all of that, the thing that you're looking for in that moment is gonna come by him, not by you. The very thing that David was longing for was put inside of him, not out of what he has done, but about who God is. God put gladness inside of him. God allowed him to sleep. God took the weight, removed it from him. And there's some of us here today and we're going through trials and we go through trials and we will go through trials. That's not gonna stop. But the reality is, is that there is power in talking to God. You see, when we approach God in a way where we know that it's him that does the hardest thing of all, which is no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, I have safety, I have joy, I have peace, I have the ability to sleep at night. There's some of us in this room today and you haven't had a good night of sleep and you don't even know how long. God wants you to sleep tonight. There's some of us in this room that are so full of sorrow and there's some of us in this room that, that our mind goes to dark places more than it goes to light places. And God wants you to experience joy today. Not joy like laughing at a funny joke, but joy like that cannot be removed from the inside of your, your whole body feels good kind of joy a joy that comes directly from him, from heaven. All of those things come from a place of just talking to God. 
You know, sometimes we go through this Christian life and we go, I've got to dig deeper wells. I'm going to learn the craziest theology and I'm going to do all this. And that's great. I love theology. I love learning the depths. But sometimes we just need to take it back to the fundamentals. What if as a church we were just dedicated, you know what, God, I'm going to put aside 30 minutes every single day and I am going to approach you passionately and expectant for you to do something. I'm going to recount all of the blessings that you have given me so far. I'm going to look for the areas and the stones in the well that you want me to remove. And I know that in that moment you're going to put gladness, you're going to put joy, you're going to put hope, you're going to put faith. I'm going to leave built up, not torn down. That's the kind of life that God is calling us to. Sometimes we want a complicated answer, and, and I'm sorry, I don't have a complicated answer for you. I serve a complicated God, but he makes it simple for me. He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf so everyone can grab them. He says, just spend some time with me. Just talk to me, and I'll give you everything that you were looking for. So that's my encouragement you, to you today before we go back into worship is to put aside time this week. You've heard it before, this is nothing new, but actually spend some quality time, some QT with God and see, test him in this. And I guarantee as you put him first in your day, as you pray and you spend time with him, not out of religious habit, but with an expectant heart that God will move and you will experience things like never before. Amen? Why don't we stand, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. God, we wanna be passionate followers of you. God, right now, we, we, we search our hearts and we ask that you reveal anything in our hearts that's standing between you and us. Lord, help us remove the stones that are blocking the water to flow freely in the well that you have called us to dig. God, we humbly come before you and we thank you for every blessing that you have given us. That you brought us out of the miry clay and you set our feet upon a rock. That God, your promises are yes and amen for us. That God, you have already appointed and anointed our steps. That great are the plans that you have for us. Plans for us to prosper, not for us to fail that impossible is not in your vocabulary, that you are the God of the impossible. So God, we thank you today for the big life that you have called us to. Help us talk to you better. Help us communicate with you better, God. We want a, a fire shut up in our bones. We wanna feel like we are longing and craving for time with you, God that it cannot be satiated. Meet us in that area. Show yourself strong and true, God, that your word says, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. So we stand here, God, saying as a community, we are gonna be knockers and we are gonna be seekers of you, that we will spend time seeking out the heart of our Father. And God, we know that you will be faithful. I pray for peace, I pray for joy, and I pray for rest to come over our whole community, God that we will be full of the joy of heaven no matter the circumstance or season of life, whether our wine and our grain abound or whether we have nothing, God, you are still faithful and you are still more than enough. So we thank you right now for everything that you have done for us. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.